Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. Family, let's pray. God, I thank you for each and every person here. We never take it for granted, this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person, and that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today that they can use. They will be able to use this message and make their lives, God, better immediately. We don't want to wait a year for it, even though a year from now will be good. We don't want to wait a month for it or a week for it. We don't even want to wait a day for it. We want your word to strike a chord in us such that it changes our life right now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, lift them up and say this confession with me. Say, this is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God breathed, and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, family, let's run with this. You know, previously, we had a, a detailed discussion about that innate nature that we call the flesh. We described the flesh as a dictator, a dictator that does some interesting things, a dictator that makes demands of you, and when it don't get its way, it throws a tantrum. Its urges are strong. And when it goes on the attack to get what it wants, it's a very formidable adversary. Listen, the flesh has no empathy for you. Even when the flesh wants something that's harmful to you, it still prefers to have what it wants. You would think that because the flesh is part of you, that it wouldn't want to do anything, or it would refrain from asking you to do something that would, that would harm you. Think about it. The destruction of you is the destruction of the flesh too. But astonishingly, you know what? The flesh don't care. The flesh will tell you to go ahead and overindulge in alcohol, even though that action is probably harmful to your body and harmful to your state of mind. It don't care. The flesh will go ahead and tell you to pop that pill, go ahead and take that drug, even though that act is going to be harmful to your body and harmful to your state of mind. It don't care. Oh, yeah, the flesh will say, go ahead and pursue that relationship with him. Go ahead and pursue that relationship with her. Even though he or she 
those rascals are just absolutely just bad for your physical being and bad for your state of mind. You can't get around it. There's no way to skirt the issue. The flesh won't what it won't, and it won't what it won't, period. That's the way, that's, that's how the flesh do. It wants what it wants, and because it wants what it wants, guess what? It is happiest when it is dictating your actions. The flesh is happiest when it has control. Control of what? Control of you. We've already said that the flesh exists in the soul, so since the flesh that exists in the soul works its magic from within, the best counterstrike that we have as believers is to introduce the mind of the Holy Spirit into this battle for you. And by the way, for me. Paul does a good job at giving us a little insight at a benefit of letting your thought life be run or operated or controlled by the Spirit. Look at Romans 8. We're going to read verses 5 and 6 out of the easy to read. He says, people who live following their sinful selves think only about what they want. But those who live following the spirit are thinking about what the spirit wants them to do. If your thinking is controlled by your sinful self, there is spiritual death. But if your thinking is controlled by the spirit, there is life and peace. You see that? Life and peace. A spirit-controlled life, in particular, we're talking about a spirit-controlled thought life, results in life and peace. If that's the result, it should be obvious to each and every one of us that the spirit, or particularly the mind of the Holy Spirit, is an essential part of our arsenal in this whole war we got going on here. But what is the mind of the Holy Spirit? Why don't you ask, say, say Pastor, what is the mind of the Holy Spirit? You know, I didn't know you were going to ask me that, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> that is a very good question. What is the mind of the Holy Spirit? Check this out. The mind of the Holy Spirit family reflects the mind of Christ which reflects the mind of God. Many of us, especially thus those of us who are seasoned in the church, you know, we, we're used to hearing the Trinity described as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or if you're from the, from the stomp your foot on the wood flow church, the Holy Ghost. And you've got to say it like that, right? You can't say Holy Ghost, because Holy Ghost, you've got you to bring it from up here. So, the mind of the spirit, we could also say, reflects the mind of the son, which reflects the mind of the father. The Bible is clear, loved ones, that this trinity, the father, son, and the Holy Spirit, that they are always in sync and are of the same mind. We're going to take a quick moment and we're going to run through some scripture references that just kind of lay that out for us in enough detail that this image before you, we can go ahead and accept it as being the case. We're going to start off with John. 
chapter 10, King James Version, verse 30. Jesus says simply, I and my Father are one. Hold on to that thought, and let's go to John chapter 14, this time in the easy-to-read version, verses 5 through 9. The Lord is hanging out with his disciples, and verse 5 says, Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. If you really knew me, check it, you would know my Father too. But now you know the Father, you have seen him. Now here go Philip. Philip say, Lord, show us the Father. That's all we need. Then Jesus probably had a little attitude in his neck when he responded. He said, Philip. I have been with you for a long time, so you should know me. Anyone who has seen, who has seen me has seen the Father too. So why do you say, show us the Father? Having read that, go back to John 10, verse 30. Jesus says, the Father and I are one. At the beginning of John 14, he tells his boys, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, if you see the way I act, you know how my daddy act. If you see how I talk, you know how my daddy talk. If you see my swagger, my daddy got the same swagger. If you see the power I'm working with, my daddy working with the same power. I and my Father are one. Our minds are in sync. Our actions are in sync. Hey, we're one and the same, bro. You got to realize that my mind and my daddy's mind, we, they don't act different. They're in sync. The Father and I are one. So we know that Jesus and the Father are one. What about the Holy Spirit? Same John, but this time chapter 14. Well, go back to 14, I should say. Deeper in 14. We've already read 5 through 9. We're going to go to the Amplified Classic this time. That's the shift. John 14, verses 15 through 17. So it's the same thought. Jesus is still talking. We're going to read 15 through 17 because this is where he introduces the Holy Spirit. He says, If you really love me, you will keep obeying my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter. Now he's going to describe the comforter here, but he's not going to tag him to the Holy Spirit until later, but we need to read this first. Comforter, counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby, that he may remain with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, welcome, take to its heart, because it does not see him or know and recognize him. But you know and recognize him, for he lives with you constantly and will be in you. Sliding down to verse 25, same chapter, same translation. Jesus says, I have told you these things while I am still with you, but the comforter, counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, standby. Here it is. The who? The Holy Spirit. Boom. Whom the Father will send in my name. Pause. It says the Father will send in my name. Now, if I send 
you somewhere in my name, or you somewhere in my name, or you somewhere in my name, the anticipation is when you get there, it's kind of like me being there. If, if, if you promise them something in my name, they expect a delivery as if it had came from me. You don't send somebody in somebody's name that doesn't have the authority to act on the name they're being sent through. That wouldn't make no sense. I wouldn't say I'm sending my representative and every time the representative is asked a question, I don't know, I got to go ask. Well, you, you shouldn't have sent that dude. I can't tell you how many, I just, I'm just a rabbit trailer here, but I can't tell you how many times I've been in a negotiation, big dollar negotiation. I'm talking to a guy and he's got to call his vice president. Why you got to call your vice president? Why isn't your vice president here? You're burning up time. If you are representative, you need to have the same authority to make the same agreements, to make the same deal that he would. Otherwise, I can just wait and talk to him. Or at a minimum, we could have done this on video. Got me burning up gas and coming here sucking up air. You ain't got no mask on. Got me here sucking up air. You know, I, you know I'm checking you out. You breathing too hard. Shorten your breath. Shorten it up. But if the father sends somebody in Jesus' name, the person, the entity, the thing, whatever he sends, has to be able to represent Christ as if it was Christ. Here we go. The father will send in my name, okay, in my place. Okay, sending it in my place, no big deal. You might not still have the same authority, but they wrap this up. To represent me, and act on my behalf. So now we're, we, we, we've synced. We already know Jesus and the Father is in sync. So now we're starting to sync the Holy Spirit into it. They all have the same mind. Just to complete this, it says, the Father will send in my name, in my place, to represent me and act on my behalf. He will teach you all things. And he will cause you to recall, will remind you of, bring to your remembrance everything I have told you. Go to chapter 16, still in the Amplified Classic, verses 12 through 15. Jesus is going to talk about the Holy Spirit again. I have still many things to say to you, but you are not able to bear them or take them upon you or grasp them now. But he, the Spirit of truth, Previously, he already said the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit linked that together. The truth-giving spirit comes. He will guide you into all truth, the whole full truth, for he will not speak on his, he will not speak his own message on his own authority, but, here we go, but he will tell whatever he heals from who? From the Father. He will give the message that has been given to him. He will announce and declare to you the things that are to come that will happen in the future. So he's not here bumping his gums based on what's his own mind. He is conveying to you what is in the mind of the Father. Look at that same chapter and those same verses this time in the voice translation. It reads, I have so much more to say, but you cannot absorb it right now. The spirit of truth will come 
and guide you in all truth. He will not speak his own words to you. He will speak what he hears, revealing to you the things to come and bringing joy, bringing glory to me. Check it out. Roll me again. Keep rolling. The spirit has partial access to me. Mm -mm. Has access to me sometime. No, has access to me unlimitedly. To all that I possess and know, and I like the just. The spirit has access to all I possess and all that I know, just as everything that the father has. Whoa. They did make it, make it bigger. You know, I had an eye exam recently. <laughs> I know things just sparked my mind, all right? I had an eye exam recently. And when I had my eye exam, I had it for a specific reason, because the year that we've been doing COVID, I've been done doing a lot of work in front of the computer. And I noticed that I was trying to look at some details, and they look a little more fuzzy than they used to do. And so I called up, and Greta called up for me and got the, uh, the, the eye person, the eye, the eye doctor. She says, you know, we got to get this certain kind. It can't be this kind. It's got to be a real, the one that, that got the doctor degree, not the one that just does eye. Okay, that one. And so she sends me to the ophthalmologist. And, and when I get to the, when I, did they get it right? Ophthalmologist? Well, he sent me to the ophthalmologist. And when I get to the ophthalmologist, I'm sitting there. And, and, and this is, I, I always think of the weirdest thing. They're putting the thing on your face. And they, is it number one? It's number two. It's number one? It's number two. So they're going through all the stuff. Well, after they go through all the stuff, they're doing the, the dilation and the eye stuff. And then they say, okay, I'm going to leave you for a minute while that works. They take the thing away, and on the back of the machine is a sticker. The sticker says, needs to be like maintained or reviewed, you know, on this date. It's a year past the date. <laughs> so now in my mind, I'm like, is this machine even working? The spirit has unlimited access to me. <laughs> Thank you for making it bigger. The spirit has unlimited access, because these are my old glasses. The spirit has, <laughs> I got the prescription, but I haven't filled it yet. <laughs> the, sp the spirit has unlimited access to me, to all I possess and know, just as everything the father has is mine. Now, he says, just as the, everything the father has is mine. I take that just as to mean, just as the spirit has everything, has unlimited access to me, to what I possess, and to what I know, guess what? It also has access to everything the Father possesses and everything the Fathers know, because everything the Father has is mine. Yeah. It's relational. So by default, if God knows it, Christ knows it. If Christ knows it, the Holy Spirit knows it. They're always in sync. The mind of the Holy Spirit reflects the mind of Christ, which reflects the mind of God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 in the Amplified Classic. It reads this way. Yet to us, God has unveiled and revealed them by and through his spirit. 
For the Holy Spirit searches diligently, exploring and examining everything, even sounding the profound and bottomless things of God, the divine counsels and things hidden beyond man's scrutiny. So once again, the mind of the Holy Spirit reflects the mind of the Father and the Son. As a believer, we have access to the mind of the Holy Spirit, which, as we've already associated, means that we have the access to the mind of Christ and we have access to the mind of God. But just having access, loved ones, does not guarantee you success. Victory, the type of victory that we're looking for, that victory is dependent on the individual allowing that mind to have influence. Mm -hmm. Say this with me. Just having having access access to the mind of Christ Christ does not guarantee guarantee success. success. It's all about the influence you allow the mind of Christ to have. We're about to read a scripture, but before we put that scripture up, I want to let you know something. It's, it's scripture, it's Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. And it is the scripture that would automatically, you would think, well, that's the scripture. You have a series called The Master's Mind, and we're talking about having the mind of Christ. Why in the world? We're on session six, Pastor. You ain't read the scripture yet. Well, there's a reason for it, and you know there's always a reason for it, but the reason for it is this. I felt it necessary before I read that scripture to let you know that you know what you you are a spirit who possess a body. And that body has a certain relationship that gets carried on between the, the mind and your head and your heart and your soul. Oh, and by the way, your soul, it's not just your soul, even though it takes in all your five senses, it, it has something living there. It's a carnal nature called the flesh. And by the way, that flesh, it won't what it won't. It don't care nothing about you. And if you don't give it to it, you know what it's going to do? It's going to throw a tantrum. And oh, oh, by the way, that flesh, it's a dictator. It don't, take, it don't just make suggestions. It kind of get in your face, and it kind of tug on your strings, and it wants what it wants. And you know what? Your spirit can help that, though. You have a spirit man. Even though your spirit man probably used to be aligned with that fleshly nature before, once the Holy Spirit touched you, guess what? It want to live differently. It want to live differently, and you got the mind of the Holy Spirit, and so why aren't you winning? Well, you know what you got to do? You got to let it have influence. Now we're ready to read it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Out of the good old-fashioned King James. Read this with me. Ready, go. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. When I read that, out of all the good verbiage that's on that, the one that the word that my mind kind of locks in on is that three letter word at the front. Let. Nobody can let for you. That means it's something that you have to do. That word let is a vital part of this whole sentence or statement or verse. You have to grant the mind of Christ. We've already concluded that the mind of the Holy Spirit and the mind of Christ, we can switch those things. You have to allow or grant the mind of Christ full access 
into the battle. You can't, you can't kind of let it have access. You have to give it full access. You can never forget that you are in a war and there's a war going on inside of you. And what you want is you want your renewed spirit to win. You, 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 you don't want the flesh to win. The victory you want only results from the mind of Christ in you having a greater influence than the flesh in you. If the mind of Christ don't have more influence in you than the flesh in you, you're not going to get the victory that you want. Now, achieving that state, achieving the state of having the mind of Christ in you, having more influence of you than the flesh in you, that requires two actions. Two actions from each and every one of us. I'm going to present those actions in the form of an analogy. And before I show you this image, I'm going to ask you a question to ponder. It's going to sound a little nonsensical, but just work with me. The question is this, how can a puppy defeat a full-grown lion? We're not going to ponder long on it, but just that's the question I want to roll out there. The answer, even though as simple as it may be, escapes people because of how they think. The answer is this. You feed the puppy and start the lion. Look at this image. If you want to know how a puppy can defeat a lion, you feed the puppy and you start the lion. Now keep this in mind. When we're talking about this, I know that, like I said, it may seem a little ludicrous or absurd, but I want you to just take a moment with me and let's follow the reasoning. Day one of that lion's road to starvation, at day one, that puppy is no match for that lion. That puppy don't stand a chance. Day one finds that lion well fed. And as a result, the king of the jungle, that rascal is energetic and powerful. That puppy, although the puppy is also well fed, although it's, it's got a lot of spunk, you can tell it's got a lot of spunk. No matter how energetic that puppy is, no matter how much spunk that, that puppy has, it is no match for its beastly opponent day one. That lion is virile. That lion is vicious. That lion is ferocious. That lion is carnivorous. That lion is barbaric. Comparatively, on day one, that puppy is no more than an appetizer shrimp. <laughs> A little ranch on the side. But family, I asked you to follow the rationale. Don't you go count my man puppy out yet. Because that's day one. When you think about 
the process. Even though day one, the puppy is no match. Day one is not when the puppy makes its move. You see, we talked about day one, but guess what happens after day one? You see, day one eventually becomes day two. It becomes day four, which leads to day seven, which leads to day 10, which leads to day 15 and then day 18. Then it leads to day 21. It leads to day 28. It leads to day 30. And at, at some point in time, something become, becomes apparent. It starts to become apparent that that lion doesn't have as much energy as it had on day one. That deep belly roar that it used to have that would rock the ground, it's now just a muffled moan. <laughs> you start to see that the legs on that lion are struggling to, to, to support its weight. Ultimately, if you keep that lion on its road to starvation, that lion lays on the ground une unable to lift a paw. It can't lift a, lift a paw, paw neither to go on the attack or defend itself. At that point, the puppy simply, simply goes in, whips his tail, and takes his victory. Now, loved ones, this analogy here is very relatable to what we're talking about in regards to the battle that we have going on with our flesh and our spirit. It is directly relatable. And how is that directly relatable? I want you to say this with me. Say, the victor in you will be the one you nourish. The reason the analogy is so relatable in the event that we're not making it clear, if the message doesn't jump off the page just from the example, there's a battle in you between your flesh and your spirit, your renewed spirit, but still your spirit. And the victor in that war is going to be the one you nourish. Going back to what we said, that there were two actions that you have to take in order to allow the mind of Christ to have more influence on you or in you than your flesh. Having gone through the analogy, here go the two actions. I'm going to call them two commitments. Your two commitments are these, if you want the mind of Christ to have more influence in you than your flesh. The first one, a commitment to feed your spirit. What is the second action that aligns with that? A commitment to starve your flesh. Now, of course, we're talking about feeding your spirit godly things and starving the flesh of its dictates, denying it saying no. The victor family, as you work through these two commitments, will be the one that you nourish. Not the, not the one you want to win. 
but the one you nourish. I'm going to give you a supposition. It's not just an assumption. It's something that is provable. Here's the supposition. Watch this image. The supposition is this. Whatever you feed gets stronger. And whatever you starve gets weaker. Now that's, that's time tested. That's a proven fact. I'm not just bumping my gums on that. You know that from nature. Take me quickly back to my puppy and my lion. When you look at those two images, do you know that when that lion first hit the earth, that it was not much stronger than that puppy? Oh, it had the, the potential to be the king. It had the potential to be that four to 500 pound presence. You know, that four to 500 pound, I wish a junker would type of animal. That, that capability was there. But that lion only becomes everything its potential says it can become through consistent food and drink. It had to be fed on the regular. Once again, take me back to my supposition. That supposition, that, that hypothesis, that idea that what you feed gets stronger and what you starve gets weaker, that's more than an assumption. That's proven. That's time tested. Reflecting on that sentiment, I'm going to make that a little broader for us. And I'm going to have you repeat this. Say, a living thing, be it natural, or spiritual, only grows stronger when its habitual intake or consumption fosters health and growth. Next image. You have heard it said that you are what you eat. I've heard that all my life. And, and keep in mind, I understand the sentiment and I agree that that is the case in particular for the, at this physical perspective. You know, what this thing is trying to say is if you kind of conduct your, your consumption in a non-nutritious way, if you just, you know, deprive your body of the proper vitamins and the proper minerals, that, that type of approach, well, this, it has a negative effect on your body. When you, when you think about it, what it's saying in short is if you kind of, I don't know, and if you're a non-nutritious kind of person, you might end up with a malnourished body or not the best body that you could have. 
And keep in mind, a lot of times that's just on the inside. Because you can look healthy on the outside and not be eating right. And when they run those numbers, when you get your physical and they go, hey, Mr. Smith, I got to talk to you about something. You're like, and you be lying. You got some, I be eating good. You be lying. You own, and you Christian. And you born again. And you just be lying. That's why I use my last name. You be lying. You be lying. You be lying. You be lying. You know. I heard somebody say it this way. They said that if, if, if you want to know your health, let me in your house and I can tell you because 90% of your health is found in your kitchen, in your cupboard, or in that drawer wherever you hide the Twinkies at. All that. When it says you are what you eat, the thought process is if, if you are doing things on an intake basis that aren't good for your body, then your body going to tell on you. So you are what you eat. I, I agree with that fully from a physical perspective. Let's talk about the spiritual perspective, though, because for the spiritual perspective, I got a different twist on it, and I'm going to present it to you. It's a smithism. Haven't given you one of those in a while, but here you go. And we're going to lead into it, and we're going to say it slow because I want you to get it. You ready? Here we go. Say physically. physically. You, are what you, you are what you eat. But spiritually, spiritually you, are you are what you feed. What you feed. Physically, yeah, you are what you eat. But spiritually, you are what you feed on the inside. If you feed the flesh, then you are going to be slave to its dictates. Your actions are going to be carnal. If you feed your spirit godly things, then your actions, your words, your deeds are going to reflect God. Loved ones, I know they say you are what you eat, but I'm telling you the more important thing is you are what you feed. Which brings us to a question. Here we go. What are you feeding? Which one are you feeding, family? Well, I just need to, hey, which one are you feeding? Which are you feeding your flesh and making your flesh big and muscular and strong? Starving your spirit so it gets all puny? Or are you feeding your spirit so your spirit is big and strong and starving your flesh? It's a question that each and every one of us needs to know. You need to know the answer to, and you need to really acknowledge it for real. Because until you acknowledge it, you're not going to do anything about it if, it if this picture is the wrong way. If you deny it, it doesn't help you a bit. Let me say something else here. And I don't want to get in front of myself because we're going to be talking about this in a later session. But when you look at this picture, 
a lot of times, the image on the right, the muscular character, a lot of times people, and I'm talking about people themselves, assume that that's how they look in the spirit just because they go to church. They believe that's they look in this, all those pectorals. I can't do that for you, but you know. I'm giving you all I got. <laughs> Just because I oversee a department. Just because, you know, I give. That does not result because of a facade that you present the rest of the world. That does not result because of a facade you present yourself. I don't care how you want to look. The reality is, if you're not feeding your spirit, it does not look like that. More than likely, you're feeding your flesh. You are what you feed. And to make it personal, say, I am what I feed. I would like to believe, I really would, I'm, this is me being completely serious. I know I'm always serious with you, but I, I, I joke a lot, but I, am, I really would like to believe that when I look at that image, that everybody in here, every believer, is the picture of having a strong faith, strong spirit, you know what I mean, and a weak flesh. That is the way I really would like to believe it to work. Really? But now back towards what you would expect from me. I would also like to believe that I can flap my arms like a bird and fly. I would also like to believe I can pick an elephant up with one hand. I would also like to believe I can get in a three-point stance and outrun a cheetah. Now all those sound absurd and they sound ludicrous, but that's just as absurd as believing that every believer has a strong spirit and a weak faith. Is it the case that some are probably there? Probably. But you know what I believe? I believe, I contend as a matter of fact, that most people aren't there. And they aren't there, check this out, because they feed their flesh more than they believe. They feed their flesh more than they know. They don't think they're feeding their flesh because in their mind, you know, they're looking for the big stuff. You might not be feeding your flesh steak and potatoes, but doggone it, you are feeding it Skittles like a mug. You are popping, you are, you are nourishing that thing on things that you think, you know what? That don't really matter. And that's just, the, that's just this. Or that's just that. Every believer does not have a picture of a strong spirit and a weak faith. Most are feeding their faith, their flesh, more than they think. 
They are not, let me say it properly, strong spirit and strong flesh. If we were able to take every believer and, and we could really have a device where we could see the strength of their flesh and see the strength of their spirit, what we would end up doing, we would be observing a whole range of values and we would be able to measure those things. And those measurements would, would result in a whole spectrum of outcomes. And we could take those spectrum of outcomes and you know what we could do? We could set it in what I call uh, a quadrant of boundaries. We can set it amongst four extremes. And those four extremes would be these. Notice. Every believer, we could map out their spiritual strength and their fleshly strength with this four quadrant, four quadrant image. Starting from the bottom and going clockwise, every believer either has weak flesh and weak spirit, a strong flesh and a weak spirit, a strong flesh ah, and a strong spirit, a weak flesh and a strong spirit. That bottom one, that last one, is where we all aspire to be. And interestingly, interestingly enough, from the upper left down to the bottom right, that's kind of, you can kind of explain those without much detail, even though we will put detail around it. But from the bottom left up to the top upper right, those kind of can be a little confusing. But don't worry, we're going to clear that up for you. However, once again, what I hope is that each and every one of you aspire to be right there at the bottom right. Aspire to have a strong spirit and weak faith. Thank you. Uh, let me make sure I get on the audio right. A strong spirit and weak flesh. So if I say it, faith or anything else, everybody listening, I'm talking only about flesh and spirit. That's where we aspire to be. That's where I hope you aspire to be. But keep in mind, you only get there by doing your part. You are in control of where you end up in this quadrant, in these four quadrants. Why are you in control of it? Because you are what you feed. And we'll pick up there next time. I love you so much. What I want you to walk away with today, those very simple words, you are what you feed. Let's pray. God, I thank you for each and every person 
who is listening attentively to your word. And not just listening, but listening to apply it. To get closer to you, to get nearer to you, to become more like you. I ask that if there are barriers that keep them from getting near to you, work with them, give them the wisdom, give them the insight. If, if it's something beyond them, God, step in and move out of the way those barriers that keep them from getting closer to you. Whatever is the natural, show them what to do in the natural and then give them the faith to count on you to put your super on their natural. My prayer for them is the same as your desire for them. My desire is for them to prosper and be in good health even as their soul prospers. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.